starting off, I'd love to give you an invite to our GDP project, uh, Going Deeper Project is what we're calling that. And it's an opportunity, one night opportunity from 6 to 9.30 um, on November 9th, so Friday night. And it's an opportunity to go deeper spiritually. And we've got uh, four sessions, like TED Talk kind of sessions, with some cool activation where I think you can really grow. You don't have to sign up for a 10-week session or anything like that. We got to uh, just a show up. We're going to have a dinner, and um, and we even get a T-shirt uh, so you can walk around. I went to GDP kind of thing, and uh, uh, <clears throat> great opportunity to jumpstart your faith. We got tickets for sale. It's 15 bucks, which is pretty good dinner, great shirt. That's worth it there, right there. But uh, also an opportunity to go deeper um, for kids too. We're putting a whole program for kids, uh, school-age kids, uh, for, so that they can go deeper also. And so I wanted you to know about that. And we'll be selling uh, tickets for that, about 40 spots uh, in uh, the, the foyer. Now, last week, we had a, <clears throat> what I think was a great message about what the church is and how the church is not a place. It's us. It's a people. And uh, Daniel, I thought, did a wonderful job bringing out the metaphor of us as a people. I'm going to go into that a little bit more and emphasize one in particular that I think hits the, uh, the need that is a part of everybody's makeup in life. I mean, we live in a time right now where things are so, people are so disconnected and so isolated from one another. Uh, you know everything that's going on in somebody's life, like what they ate for, uh, for breakfast on Facebook and then what they ate for dinner. Um, but we don't know each other at all on the inside. Uh, you know, you see the pictures on Instagram, and you know all about everybody's cat, but you don't know uh, what's going on in their life. And so, uh, actually, right now, it's, uh, loneliness is an epidemic. And it used to be that loneliness was primarily uh, older folks that were living alone. But studies show now that teenagers and those in their 20s are lonelier than any other category or demographic in our, our culture. So we live in a time where there's this basic need to belong. And I love this, uh, I don't love it, but I think it's an accurate quote from Brene Brown. <clears throat> a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. <clears throat> when those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, and we get sick. One of the greatest needs we have is to belong. And in a time where everything's tribal, but you can't connect to the tribe personally, you may have the tribe's ideas that you agree with, but there's no way to connect personally with those people. We are more isolated than ever. God has an answer for that. And that's his people. Last week we worked on the word ecclesia, that Greek word that means the gathered ones. He's got, a, he's got an answer for that. And there are three metaphors actually for God's people that uh, <clears throat> are super important to every Jesus follower and to us as a whole. Uh, let me give them to you. The first one we kind of covered last week, but I think it's important to put in the mix. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household. We'll come back to that. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that first metaphor is the metaphor for God's people as a dwelling. Peter says that we're living stones. Stones that are being placed, apparently, by the master builder, with Jesus as the cornerstone, in the right places to do what? So that God can dwell. It, it used to be the temple was a place you went to, but now we are the temple. Now, interesting, you've read uh, that we, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's our if you look in the context of, of it, it's not just, yes, your body, Jesus, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit enters your life, and now God resides in you. But when it talks about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit where God can dwell. And now there's no priest that has to intercede for you because the high priest already made it, that's Jesus, so that you could go directly to God in this place, this dwelling place where God dwells. Why is this metaphor important? One, so that you know God is present, and two, you have access to him. So that metaphor of understanding God's people in terms of a dwelling, a living dwelling, us, and you are a stone put in a place and builds this place where God comes. That's cool. That's important to know. <clears throat> the second one, throw up Romans 12, for just as each one of us each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. <clears throat> so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The second metaphor is that of a body. We hear about the body of Christ, right? And you know how, what, how important each function of the body is. Now, um, I'm not wearing this for illustration purposes. I'm on my fifth month of wrist surgery and second time around and uh, of a bone fusion thing and you orthopedic doctor people you know what I'm talking about four point fusion here from injury back in the day and <clears throat> here I just had pins taken out and so uh, it's feeling pretty good but so for five months because I had to have a revision and had it done again for five months I've had to use this arm and so now I like to refer to these when I was younger as guns you know, you're supposed to kind of smile or laugh at that. Guns. When you're 56, they're not guns anymore. But uh, it used to be a gun. Well, actually, this wrist doesn't work, and so I can't use this arm and haven't used this arm for five months. And so uh, this is atrophied and gotten smaller. And so then what I've had to do is I've had to use my left hand and my left arm, and I'd like to tell you that it's bigger. I don't know about that. It's stronger. But actually now my rotator cuff is hurting, and I can't... <laughs> And I can't do everything I'm supposed to do. You PT people could help me with that. But uh, uh, so do you get it? This part here is affecting this part, which means this part has to work harder, which is getting strained. And now this part isn't working. And now I can't do anything. I can't go shoot today. I'm going to watch you all do that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> this part is apparently important to the rest. Why is the body metaphor so important to understanding God's people and the church? Because no matter who you are, what part you are, you are important. Even if you think that uh, uh, you are 
uh, just kind of in the background. You feel like you're sort of a spiritual wallflower that, that uh, you don't really have anything to do. You are so important. And if you're on the flip side and uh, you've been given a lot of responsibility and you have influence and you speak from the front and, and you do all of that, you need to recognize and be a little bit more humble that, in fact, that person is important. The body of Christ, the body, we all are we're one body and every part is important, including you. One, you need to know that you have access and you're a part of where God dwells. Two, you need to know that you're important and so is everybody else here. Now, this third one is the one where I really want to drill into just a little bit and bring into our, our, our thinking a little, in a little bit greater way. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> in verse 19... I read that kind of quick, but it said, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people. He's talking right there that now we are actually joined up with all of God's people that had come before Jesus, but he makes it more than that. Look at how he drills in the next level, and he goes, and also members of his household. Well, that's key. Members means you belong to what? His household. Now, uh, Paul, who wrote this, is mixing the metaphors a bit. And if you were to listen, if you were to read this back in the day, you would understand his household uh, in a relational way. You would understand that his household is not a reference to a building. It's actually a dwelling where people dwell and abide, where they, where they live. And who lives in a household? Family lives in a household. You are now part of a family. You are members of a household. We know this is true. Even the verse right before said, we now have access to the Father. Now, you remember what Jesus said uh, when he said, how do we pray? And he says, our Father who art in heaven. That was a personal thing. That was a personal statement. That was not the previous Old Testament, our Father over the whole nation. This is access for you and I to a father as a son and as a daughter. And what we have right here is a gathering of sons and daughters with a father and a brother and sisters together with one another. The Bible is filled with these one another phrases. There's 50 of them, actually. I'll give you a few of them of how we relate to one another. I couldn't remember them all. And I won't give you all 50. Store up John 13 so you get this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is a whole new thing that Jesus introduces, loving one another, these one another phrases. Love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other. Sing to each other. Submit to each other. Be devoted to each other. First Peter. Look at the bottom part. Love one another deeply from the heart. That's what's supposed to be happening in a family. That's what it means to belong. People are longing for belonging. And this is where it is. Right here in this family. Matter of fact, we need to go from believing, most people think Christianity is believing something. It's actually belonging to something. 
in a shared experience together. Together is a crucial concept in the Bible and talking about Jesus followers. They're always together. They're sharing an experience. That's the word, I'll give you a new Greek word for today, koinonia. Now, some of you veterans, you know, you're dialed into that. But koinonia, you always hear it translated or see it translated fellowship. But it literally means shared experience. That's a part of what the family of God is, sharing experience together. And I believe that's a part of every person that's ever been born. The need to belong and to be in shared experience together. Sometimes, especially when things don't go well or things don't go right. I had, I, I, I had this uh, uh, happen to me um, where I could see it in action, that it's written on everybody's heart. So two years ago, uh, Chris Clark, and I don't think they're here today, but I did their wedding in Cincinnati. They flew me over there, uh, and I <clears throat> did their wedding. It's on Labor Day, uh, which is not my favorite time to fly to Cincinnati and do a wedding. But it was a cool event, and, uh, and afterwards I'm going home, right? And I get on an airplane, and I go to Chicago, and I'm going to go from Chicago, O'Hare, into Aspen, right? And uh, it's about two and a half hours or whatever, but the plane is delayed in Chicago. So um, I'm doing laps, not running, but walking around the airport, uh, trying to keep moving. And it's about two hours late. So everybody who's going to get on this plane is already a little agitated, right? And I, I get on after most everybody else is on. And so I'm walking down the aisle, and I got an aisle seat. And so this, you know, the planes that go into Aspen, uh, the United planes, they got a seat in the window and a seat on the aisle, and that's all they got. And uh, uh, I'm walking, and, and I see my seat, and there's this fella sitting in the seat by the window. Uh, he's probably 22, maybe 24, and he looks up at me and scowls at me like I'm his nightmare. You know, I think he wanted some 120-pound, 20-something uh, female to sit right there. And I am none of that. I'm kind of like your, and I've, I mean, I'm telling him, you know, I'm going to try and get small here. It's not that easy getting small on, uh, on the plane, but uh, he scowls at me again, puts his headphones on, and it looks like he turns them up really loud, you know, one of those big dread things, Dr. Dre things, you know, like that. And, uh, and then just basically looks the other way. And now, if you know me, this is a challenge. I like this because, I mean, there's nothing more fun than seeing if you can't get somebody who doesn't want to open up to open up, who's already decided that he doesn't like you and doesn't want to have anything to do with you. And I'm like, yeah. And now, uh, I think Daniel could do it no matter what, but this was going to be a lot of work for me. And I try, hey, would you like some nuts? You know, hey, look at this, you know, and uh, uh, is there anything I could get you, you know? And, and uh, uh, it, 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 I tried for probably an hour. And I could not. I just think I made him matter. I think he just turned it up louder. And uh, so finally, I just tried to stay small, and we flew, and it's two and a half hours. And, uh, you know, a lot of you flown into Aspen, and as you're flying in, uh, you kind of bank over uh, uh, basalt, kind of, and then you come over old snowmass, and then you start dropping by Woody Creek really fast. And it's kind of a short runway. And so... Um, everybody's kind of jo uh, jostling around, getting ready for the landing. And we're, we're coming by Woody Creek. Now you can see, you know, the hillsides, like, out your window. Instead of looking down at them, you're looking right at them because you're getting low enough, you know. 
And uh, we started getting, coming pretty close to the highway. You know how you go over the highway and then you land? And right there, if you're that far, you're like going to land. And so we're just coming up on the highway. And then all of a sudden, you know, the pilot pulls back and fires up these motor, the, the engines. And we start, you know, and accelerating. And I don't know how close. I'm pretty sure we didn't drag. But uh, we, were, we, were, we, we weren't close. But this was dramatic, you know. And fires. We go over the... Uh, the, the, the runway, and then we start to bank up to the right over Owl Creek, and we're now cranking hard and going as fast as we can high and starting to turn the corner. And we get over Old Snow, or, uh, Snow Mass and then back over Old Snow Mass, and then he starts to kind of point it back towards Denver, and then he comes on with the pilot voice, oh, we won't be landing in Aspen today um, <laughs> because the sensor came on to indicate that our equipment won't be able to stop us in time on such a short runway. And so this guy next to me, he takes off his headphones and he just lets all this foul language out. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I said, hey, bro, I'm actually okay with them not landing a plane that can't stop on a short runway. <laughs> and, and, and you could see him go, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And, and then, and then go, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough that, you know, stuff you can't control, you might as well not get too bent out of shape. Yeah, but I got to be there. I got to get to snow mass. I got to do, you know, I got all this stuff I got to do. And I go, I get it. I'm going down to Glenwood and I'm riding the bus. And then we start talking. And about that, it's only 35 minutes back over to Denver, right? So then we come in to uh, DIA. We, we land and the guy gets back on and says, we'll be looking for a new airplane and you'll probably be able to take you back to Aspen in about 30 minutes. So don't go too far. And so we circle back in 30 minutes. He goes, we fixed the airplane. So it's a fixed airplane <laughs> instead of a new airplane. I want a new airplane and a uh, fixed airplane. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm late to get on. The, you know, I'm the last guy to go on because uh, I just don't like all that, you know, uh, jostling around. And uh, I go back to my the seat and, and this guy goes, hey, man, I bought you dinner. Here's a he bought me a sandwich and a drink, and he got out a sandwich, and we ate dinner together as we're coming back over. And uh, uh, we're, we're talking about, well, what, do, what do you like? Well, he goes, I like the dirt bike. Oh, I like the dirt bike, too. And uh, we start talking, where do you go? Oh, I like to go, yeah, yeah. And then we start to connect, you know. And then we come in, and, we, and then we land, right? And uh, as we're landing, you know what everybody does. Yeah! You know, and, and uh, now the pilot's a hero because he landed us and didn't kill us, and and uh, uh, there was like shared experience with everybody in the whole plane because we're now there. And we get out and he goes, I'll see you later. Uh, and oh, oh yeah, I was, I was uh, asking him, I got to take the bus. I've like taken the bus two times in my life here in the valley. And I'm going to ride the bus from Aspen down to Glenwood with my suitcase. Oh, I know all about the bus. I take it to work every day. And uh, you want this bus on this line and you know, this kind of big ones, they don't stop. And you want, that's all you want. And I go, okay, thanks. And then we say bye and he goes off and I go to the, get my luggage. I'm getting my luggage, and he comes walking back in. Now, get, mind you, we're about almost three hours late. And he comes walking back in from outside, and he goes, hey, man, I just think I should help you find your bus. And I, well, I'm, I actually am thinking, he either thinks I'm absolutely pathetic, or he really, maybe it's both. Uh, he really wants to help me with the bus. And he actually starts wheeling my thing underneath the tunnel, 
and up to the bus. And then this bus comes up, and he goes, oh, that's my bus. And uh, you don't want this one. This is the one that stops everywhere. You want the big one that's coming. And, uh, well, aren't you going to get on? No, I'm going to wait here to make sure you get on your bus. And then, so then the big bus comes. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I get my stuff, and, and he goes, well, this is your bus. And it'll take you all the way to where you need to go. And then he gives me this hug. And I don't know what the people on the bus are thinking as they're driving up, but I don't actually care because uh, of this guy who wanted nothing to do with me actually now cares about me. I care about him, and we have had a shared experience. And a little drama and something that doesn't work quite right brought us together and, and it's part of every person's human need to experience that. And that is why God put the people of God together so that we could be a family and share experience together, sometimes hard experiences. But when we do, we come together in a deeper way. We love God and we love people differently through shared experience. The, action, the idea <clears throat> that you could be a Jesus follower and not connected with the family is completely foreign to anything in the Bible and foreign to anything that's happening anywhere else in the world. If you talk to missionaries uh, and, and what life is like out there, they long to congregate to one another. There's no idea, there's no notion that you would be a lone ranger or by yourself, and, and it's everywhere we're around now, right? Millions of people who say, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into church. I get why you're not into church. I don't like all that stuff about church either. But I love the family. And I love to belong. And I love to be with people who belong. We were created for that. I mean, not having that is like a football player without a team, a soldier without a platoon. How about like a sheep without a flock? The idea that you would do it on your own is impossible. And the metaphor, the reality of the metaphor is completely lost. So as a family, we have shared experience together. That's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be a part of a living stone dwelling where God dwells. You're supposed to be a part of a body because your part is important. And you're supposed to be a part of a family because you belong. You see, we need to go from believing to belonging. Christianity is not just about believing the right thing. It's about belonging in relationship to one another. It says love God and love people. But how are you going to love people if you're not around people? And if you've noticed about that, you know, the people who are easy, who are just like you and like your jokes and think you're neat, those people aren't hard to love at all, are they? Those are the people you kind of want to be around. When you decided to come to the orchard and make this your family, you, unfortunately, weren't able to decide who else was going to come to the orchard and make it their family. And it's actually supposed to be that we are really different from one another. And in those differences... The beauty of loving people gets expressed because unity is an agreement. Unity is belonging. 
together and shared experience together. So powerful. One thing that I think I, 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 uh, uh, <clears throat> I was confronted by a couple of friends, actually, that I was missing something here at the Orchard. You know, people say, come up to me all the time. How do I be a member? How do I get to be a member of, uh, of the Orchard? And I say, you've heard me say it, oh, we don't have membership at the Orchard. And I'm very intentional about why we don't have membership at the Orchard. And that's because everywhere I've been prior to here, membership is completely different. It's about who's in and who's out. And it's about those who are in have the power get to make the decision to decide on the carpet, and those out don't get to decide. And those out don't have a voice. And if you ever notice, it's the people who are in who are deciding who the people who are out are. You never find the people who are out deciding that uh, that's the boundary and I'm out. And then the church turns into kind of like a holy huddle, a little clique. And I shunned that because, man, if there's anything that's important is there's room here for everyone. There's room here for everyone. And the mess that comes from everyone. And we have everyone at the orchard. Actually, as I say that, I just, uh, you can hear the Holy Spirit go, no, you don't. And I got to be honest, I just heard that. I mean, I'm not seeing too many people of other races here in the house. Um, right? But, uh, but there's a lot of different people here. I mean, we got Catholic people, we got Baptist people, we got religious people, we got people who hate religion, we got, we got uh, young people, we got old people, we got rich people, we got poor people. It's kind of supposed to be like that. Loving people is really expressed when you're around the people that are not like you. That's when it's expressed. Ah, the people who actually make you mad. Loving people, loving God and loving people is no big deal when everybody likes you. It's when they don't. You know, when we all gravitate to be around people who are just like us, but, but fortunately, this family isn't like that. We're supposed to be like that. This family is supposed to be different where everyone belongs. And there's an invitation for everyone. So people tell me, you know, what's membership? And I go, we don't have that because I don't want to set up some false man-made thing that, that creates who's in and who's out when everybody's really actually supposed to be in. Mm, kind of got to set that aside for something that's greater than that. I mean, if you look through the scripture, even that members of... The household. Membership actually was a Christian word. C.S. Lewis uh, did a paper on this and said that word should be redeemed back into our culture. Right now, membership means you paid your dues, you got the password, or you got the card, you got the key to the gate that lets you in, um, you, and, uh, and you're a member, which doesn't mean much these days. It means a transaction. I came here, and you give me this, and I give you that, and then um, I leave, and I'm a member. Uh, the family. Family doesn't work like that. Family's not a transaction. It's a relationship, right? And yet, uh, it's not belonging is to, to a family, and belonging is not just a feeling. There's supposed to be more than a feeling. There's supposed to be action behind it. Check out First John. Dear children, children, brothers and sisters, that's you and I, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. James talks about that, right? Don't, don't tell me stuff. Do something. You see somebody need, do it. Something about belonging is action, not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. And when we belong, I mean, I feel like we, 
we uh, kind of downplayed that membership idea, and I'm not trying to resurrect the word membership. We actually came up with a different word for membership. It's, it's, uh, we made it up. Belonger. Yeah. It's good. She's laughing at it. It's good. Belonger, right? I'm a belonger. Because we want to shift something. We want to shift something. Belonging isn't too important. You know, right now, because we never, never set up anything for you to belong to, if somebody asked you right now, uh, hey, what church do you go to? Church. You're not doing it quite right. You would say, because this is what we say, you would say, I go to the orchard. How many times have you said that? I've said that, you know, a thousand times. And I work here. I go to the orchard. But if you belong, if you're a belonger, it would be more accurate to say, I belong with the orchard. You would be communicating what this really is. More so. If I were to say, yeah, I belong with or I belong to would even work, but, but instead of I go to, I go to, I, well, I go to this on Sunday, and then I go do that on Saturday, and then I go do this, and this all, it's just a part of my schedule. There's a shift when all of a sudden you uh, realize that you're a part of this place, that God has put you here to connect in this with these people. It's not so much a place as it is a people that we belong to. That's powerful. That's powerful. But I think just like I said in First John, it requires action, something to act on. And I think there's three things. Uh, we'll roll this out uh, in the new year so that uh, uh, you can participate in it, um, the Belonger program, uh, because, so that we can emphasize the importance of the commitments that come along with being a part of the family and belonging. But there's basically three things. And, and I think these three are kind of transferable to any time through the church, church history or maybe anything that you belong to, but certainly here. The first one is serving. Well, all three of them are serving, giving, and inviting. Serving, we are most like Jesus when we serve. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus, who was God, humbled himself to be a man for you and I, to come for you and I, He's to serve us. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to be serving one another. It's a critical thing. Now, you may be doing it formally, and we have needs everywhere formally. You may be serving children. You may be serving in the garden. You may be serving as a leader in growth groups, which is a key thing for us here. You may be serving with hospitality. We need some serving people in hospitality. It says practice hospitality. You may be serving in some quiet place that nobody knows. That's okay. Or you may be serving in some high-profile place. But part of being, uh, part of being the family Part of being a belonger is serving. It's when you're most like Jesus. Second, giving. Giving is kind of obvious, isn't it, where your heart is? Uh, that you, where your treasure is, there your heart is. You put some treasure here. When you bring your first fruits into the house um, and we put our fruits, first fruits together as a family, do you know what we can do as a family? We can dream, for one thing. We could dream about what could happen. It wouldn't be about just trying to get the lights on or pay the staff or something like that. We could dream big. How would the valley change? Because we were a family and we came together with our resources. I think big things. I think the big problems could change. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about small stuff. I'm talking about maybe mental health in the valley. Could, this is a desert for mental health. People are isolated. 
you know you know what's in this valley related to that. Or we could go to the to the I love I just love this kind of stuff. You know, we could go to the city and say, What do you need? And they go, We weren't able to do this this year because we didn't have the money. Let us do that. We'll put that park in. Or we go to the school, what do the kids need where you didn't have the money for that? Oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll get them food for that, or we'll buy them backpacks for that. Or we go to the county, what do you need? We need somebody to clean the river. We'll go do that. We'll go serve tangibly that way. What if it got hard to be isolated in this valley because we were moving out and we had the resources to do it? You know, I talked to a guy um, a number of years, a couple years ago, and uh, he had a lot of resources. And he, uh, he was actually doing ministry in uh, uh, paying for millions of dollars paying in, in Sudan. Um, very, very hard place. And and uh, just a great heart for reaching people there and providing for the needs of people there. And as he's telling me about what he's doing, I'm thinking, man, that's powerful. I didn't tell him this, uh, but I wanted to. Why did you have to do that on your own? I know why he had to do it on his own, because it was too much money for boneheads like us. But if he would have, if, if he would have brought it here and he would have said, I'd like to do this. God is laying this on my heart. I'd like to do it through the church then it would be so much more than his money. Why? Because you in that back row right there would go, I could go. And you over here, because I could, I could create this for that over there. And, we could, and together, uh, it would be so much more leveraged because God will leverage all of us as a family into what he wants to do instead of what that guy's money would do. Now, God bless him for his generosity, but don't forget the family because the family's bigger deal than you think. There's people sitting around at the, in, at the table with the family who can do amazing things if you let them. So you, get, you serve, you give, and then you invite. Core to being a Jesus follower is inviting. I mean, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses all over the world. Go baptize, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Ghost. Go, uh, Holy Spirit, wherever. And, and, and be my witnesses. Give an invitation. If there was anything about Jesus, he was vi- inviting people on the outside in. That's what he was about. He came so that everybody on the out could be on the in. And you are here right now because somebody invited you. It may be, you may, oh, I got, I got it off the internet. Well, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit guided you here. Invitation is key to it. Now, I'll give you a slam dunk easy one. Easy one. So Christmas, last year Christmas, we had 1,119 people, I think, here. Uh, we had three services, two uh, nativity ones. And people uh, have came and they were in our environment. They experienced our love for God and our love for them. Many of, some of you are here right now because of, of that opportunity that you had to be here. We, we've, we're, gonna, we're going bigger this year. 1,500 people, four services. We're doing one the night before. Why? Because we want to have as many people as we can be in our environment and share uh, what's cool about the orchard and ultimately about Jesus. That's an easy invite because people, you know, people come to Christmas anyway. They're, they're interested. But an inv- inviting attitude, an inviting spirit that says, I kind of want to go where you're going. I know, I know that not everybody's real verbose and, and uh, uh, some invites are hard, but that's part of being a Jesus follower. So we serve, we give, 
and we invite, which is exactly what Jesus did, right? He served you by coming while you were isolated and alone so that you could belong. He gave himself so that you could be forgiven and right relationship with him and with one another. And he gives you an invitation to be with him and to be a part of the family. That's what you're doing when you take communion. And when you take communion today, it's open to anyone. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to know how to do it right or anything like that. Uh, it's an open invitation. I believe that this was made as an invitation, not as something that separates. Matter of fact, if, if you're just checking Jesus out and you're not sure yet, that's, what, that's exactly what this is for. You are welcome to come up and contemplate what Jesus did. Please do. What a, what a cool invitation he gave. So as you take communion, uh, thank him that you belong and, and then tell him, I want to be a belonger. Thank you for what you've done for me. Let me pray for you. Lord, we are so thankful that you are inviting and that you've, you've brought to us something that meets our greatest needs, to be with you and to be with each other. And I pray that the orchard loves one another so well, so well, that... Uh, people throughout this valley, Lord, recognize that there's something going on. Something winsome. Something shared. And as we uh, take these elements, Lord, that represent your body that was given and your blood that was shed, we thank you so much that you came to bring us in and to include us, and that we're important, and that you dwell here in our midst. In Jesus' name.